If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Hello to everybody. I'm so excited to be back after a bit of a holiday break. Welcome to Sweet Talk, the podcast. I wanted to give a little special introduction today to our show. Today, I'm not answering a question from a parent. Instead, I'm having a conversation with Cassandra, who was the guardian angel of my children as they went through elementary and middle school. She was the person at their school who managed their type one. So we're having a conversation to help you parents with your relationships with your caregivers at school to get Cassandra's perspective on what it was like to be the type one manager at school, how she partnered with different parents, what was helpful for her, the ways she was nervous, (laughs) how she partnered with the kids. Also, I want to let you know that the registration is closing tonight on the 17th for my after diagnosis course. This course is a wonderful way to get a leg up once your child has been diagnosed. It's designed for parents in the first year after a child's diagnosis in order to help you get a nice reset on the diagnosis so that you really are feeling less stressed about it and more able to help your child by keeping yourself calm. If you're interested in finding out more, you can go to diabetessweettalk.courses to look up the course and get more information and hopefully register and join me there. We open the doors to the course tomorrow. Looking forward to hearing your feedback about this wonderful episode with Cassandra. Hi, everyone. Today, I have a really special guest. I'm going a little off script, not a parent, but a provider, a care provider at school. And this was the care provider who helped both of my children through elementary and middle school. And I'm here today to have a conversation with her. Her name is Cassandra about what it's like to be a provider at a school, what worked for her, what didn't work, how she worked with the administration, how she worked with parents, because there were several uh, T1D families at our school over time. And I thought it could be a helpful conversation for parents who are thinking about how to better partner with their schools. Welcome, Cassandra. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you for being here. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Cass, tell me some about how you start, how the role started for you. Like, what was your role in the school originally? And how did you get to be like diabetes caretaker superhero? Because that's what you have always been for me. How did you? (laughs) (laughs) So my role at the school is office manager. And, you know, it's a big umbrella, a large part of which is student support. I wasn't assigned the role. And in fact, when the school was aware that there was a need, it was kind of a, a on a volunteer basis in terms of the staff who could possibly do it. You know, people honestly either said whether they wouldn't be comfortable doing that or not. And it ended up being me. We started out early on. I remember we started thinking of a team approach. And having, you know, maybe a couple people trade off during the week. And 
the possibility of having something fall through the cracks, I think was just too big to do that. And in hindsight, I actually, you know, not because it was me, but I actually think that was a smart move because it gave me the ability to hold a bigger picture. For each one of the students um, and a consistent picture, you know, to know what their schedule is and to just have that become a part of my day and my mm-hmm. thinking during the day. Where are they? What are they doing kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Is it PE or whatever? Mm-hmm. So I think that was a, a good move uh, at that point. How come it was you? Some people stepped back. They said they weren't comfortable. You know, it sort of got put out to all the staff. Like what what made it that you picked it up? Because it sounds like it was partly voluntary or all voluntary, maybe. It was. Well, it was it was voluntary in that the thinking wasn't that anyone would be made to do it. And actually, there were some other considerations, uh, different people. I'm not sure how it ended up being me, I, you know, but I don't know. I'm, I was honored to do it, you know, mm-hmm. because the amount of trust that parents would have to put in me mm-hmm. to do that, you know, I'm basically honored. But, you know, I'm not, not sure. Mm-hmm. I definitely okay. volunteered and mm-hmm. ended up being me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ended up being me for a long time. <laughs> yeah, a very long time. Yes, a very long time. I wonder how it felt when you first took up the task of management at school. What was that like for you? We as parents think like, oh my goodness, I need this person to be helpful and compliant and willing. But I wonder what, from your perspective, what was it like for you to take on this big medical lift? I have to say I was really nervous at the beginning. And, you know, again, it's like you have parents trusting you with the care of their child and just the seriousness of, you know, the responsibility. I mean, there was just so much at stake in terms of this piece. And so, you know, nervousness, which I think over the years, you know, definitely changed, Mm -hmm. but still the concern remained, you know, it's just kind of a different kind of nervousness, but always worried, just always worried about how the kids were doing and So, yeah, nervous. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What helped with that nervousness? Uh, What really helped with the nervousness was two things. Parents and, um, you know, having a relationship with the parents, um, having a partnership, actually, Mm -hmm. um, as I think about it. And it's like both having the, the same goal to keep these kids safe and at school and fully participating and communication with the parents. I feel like, uh, you know, it was the parents that provided training, provided information, you know, even information about resources. Later on in the school, we were looking at things like overnight trips and things like that. So it was that partnership with the parents. And also, I have to say the partnership with the kids. And I feel like the kids were so gracious and so understanding. It's almost, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do it, I think, if they weren't a part of the partnership. So I want to ask about the parents, but I but I want to bookmark that for a second and ask what you mean about the kids being gracious. What does that mean? Because I know, I just want to say this, that like you're saying this is a little new to me. And I want to name for our listeners that Cass, you and I worked together for probably 13 or 14 years, mm-hmm. right, for both of my kids. So, and there were other kids on the campus who had type one, but my son was the first one. 
we've had a longstanding partnership. And I never said to my children, like, you need to behave like this towards Cassandra. So I'm wondering, like, how did that partnership evolve? Because I don't want parents to feel like, oh, my goodness, what do I do? What do I tell my child so that they're gracious with their care provider at school? I'm just wondering, what was that like? How did it evolve? At the beginning of the year, for example, I would always say to you, what is it that you need? What is it that child needs? Mm -hmm. You know, this year, kind of understanding it might be different from year to year. There were students that weren't always gracious. But I think there was this understanding that I was trying to help. Mm -hmm. I was there to be helpful. I can remember one student letting me know, you know, you are not the boss of me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, no, I'm not the boss of you, but I'm here to make sure that you're safe. And this is my job and I'm, I need to do my job. And maybe it's just over the years, establishing a relationship with the kids even. Yeah. I mean, because I was in their space a lot, lurking around classrooms or whatever, depending on how you know, comfortable the child was with having me, you know, either right there out in the open in the classroom, or I did have a student who wasn't comfortable with that. And so we kind of came up with our own language and, mm-hmm. you know, I could be across the yard or across the room, but we'd make eye contact and with any relationship that you establish over time. I don't know, being respectful towards each other and just understanding what our roles were and what we were doing. I want to back up to the relationship with parents because I'm curious, Mm -hmm. obviously every provider is going to be different and every parent provider relationship is going to be different. But I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to what made it easier or harder for you in terms of parent relationships or, and maybe that's not fair, or we could ask the question like, what worked for you or what were different ways that worked for you? Because I suspect that every parent you interfaced with had a slightly different way of interfacing with you and slightly different needs for their kids. Definitely. You know, the parents, is kind of a ra- just as you have a range of parenting styles, I realize there is a range of diabetes management, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. styles. And so I feel like definitely the, there were different ways that the parents wanted me to do what I did. You know, it was a range from more casual about everything towards the, on the other end of that spectrum. But it was just communication. I mean, what was really helpful was just clear communication. And for me, in the same way that each parent was different, each child was different. So I didn't assume that I would be doing the same thing for every student because the needs were different. I think, again, just, you know, that partnership, having that communication at the beginning of each school year, what is it that you need? What is it that your child needs? One of the questions I have is I hear from a lot of parents how anxious they are about asking things of a provider at school, right? Because there's a way that I think one of the burdens of being a type one parent is that, or a parent of kid with type one, is that you know that you are asking more of everybody really who interfaces with your kid than a quote unquote normal child. I mean, there's lots of non-normal children, right? Out there with different kinds of diagnoses and conditions and needs, But you know, as a T1D parent, that you're asking more. And I wonder, what would you say to that? What would you actually need from those parents? Because I think there's a lot of dancing hesitation, like to not ask. Honestly, I feel like, and one of the things that, you know, was helpful for me is the culture of the school that I work at, which was really about students first. What does a student need? And, you know, we're there to provide whatever that student needs. And so 
kind of falling under that bigger umbrella. What I would say to parents, again, is, is like your child comes first and it isn't personal. It's a personal relationship, but, it, but it's almost like you need to have certain things happen and be in place. And I feel like the child's needs comes first. Mm-hmm. And if there is someone there at the school in the role of providing the support, it isn't personal. It, is, it isn't about, oh, this is too much for you or whatever. It's what does that child need? How are you your best advocate for this child uh-huh. on both ends? Wait, so let me slow you down. When you say it isn't personal, you mean it isn't about the personality of the caregiver? Is that what you're saying? It's about like putting the, the two adults kind of collaborating to be able to meet the needs of this kid. Is that, am I getting that right? It, it's about that collaboration. I guess when I said it isn't personal, it's like this activity is going on today and I actually need for you to, back when we were doing finger sticks or whatever, mm-hmm. I need... Mm-hmm. Um, when I say it isn't personal, I'm not thinking, oh, my God, how can you ask me to do this, all of this? It just, for me, it always felt like, well, we both have the same goal in mind. It's like, how do we keep this child safe? And what does it take to keep this child safe? And so I guess I'm saying, so it isn't so much, I feel like, oh, maybe you're asking me to do too much or you're asking me what's required to do what's required to keep this child safe. And so both of our goals, you know, between the parent and the caregiver. So I I would say to parents not to be afraid actually to ask for what you need. Mm -hmm. And what's helpful is to be very clear about it. Because I think on the other end, if you have, if you know what the expectation is, it isn't, um, I think personal, maybe I I need to use another word. It doesn't feel like, oh my God, you're, you know, you're just piling up duties or no, it isn't about that. It's really about first and foremost, how do we keep this kid safe? I love that stance. And I have to say, it just, it makes me feel personally, speaking (laughs) personal, right? It makes me feel so lucky to have been able to have you as a partner because there are a lot of stories out there of parents who really are fighting with their schools to get the care that their kids require. And I love your stance, Cass, of this um, baseline assumption you're making, right? That parents aren't meaning to be demanding, that the goal is just to keep their babies safe at school and allow their kids to be able to have a normal educational experience. And that's beautiful that you could articulate it and understand it like that. Or just to have that, you know, I'm assuming if there's someone, you know, at another school who is in this role, I would hope by accepting that role that you are actually saying, yes, I want to partner with the parent and do whatever it takes. We have a question here, and you might have answered this already, but I wonder if you can describe some differences in styles of the parents you worked with. Again, you know, keeping everyone's confidentiality, but were there different styles that you worked with? And were there any particular takeaways for you? about how these different experiences and these different styles, what like what you needed to provide good care as a through line with all these different styles. So like I was saying, it, it felt like there was this range from, for example, parents who, you know, I'm, I'm saying more on the casual end, where maybe, I, I don't want to say not as much concern, but there was a little bit more maybe freedom allowed in terms of, you know, what their child was allowed to eat or just kind of like that. And then all the way to the other end where parent being very concerned about 
everything, everything their child ate or, you know, what their child was doing. For me, it just, it was, it, it just showed the range, you know, like in parenting styles, same thing, just kind of this range and understanding that the kids were type one diabetics, but that there were different ways of managing each kid. And there wasn't one, um, there wasn't, you know, one template for each kid. Every, you know, every kid was very different. And over the years, just even understanding this one food, which one child could consume, no big deal. Another, it would be a totally different result, you know, if another child consumed mm -hmm. it. And so it always felt like, you know, you're just dealing with not a group together, but individual kids. You're dealing with individual kids, individual situations. I had different protocols for each kid, depending on what the parents needed. I wonder about, you know, I know I've had the experience sometimes, even now, honestly, this, I'm, I think my son's diabetes anniversary is coming up and it's 14 years. I can't, I honestly can't quite remember. So I've been at this a long time, almost, you know, somewhere in a decade and a half, a long time. And even now, if I drop my daughter off at some place and the person who I'm dropping her off with knows about diabetes and she happens to be 300 because she just ate breakfast and she dosed too late and whatever, I have a lot of self-consciousness and I'm worried mm -hmm. about the judgment of other parents. And you're really in the business of these parents, right? You were in my business all the time. In fact, uh, <laughs> you were, you know, by the end, you had my daughter, her CGM, you were tracking your CGM, which means you can see that data on the weekends, if that's what you chose to spend your time doing. I hope not. But I really never felt judged by you. But I want to wonder about how you would think about that. Because you're holding this very um, beautiful perspective, like there were some parents who weren't micromanaging their kids and were allowing a lot of freedom. And there were some parents who needed everything managed very tightly. And I want to name also that you had a lot of different ages. Like you had kids mm -hmm. coming into the school in middle school. There was a kid with type mm -hmm. one who came in in like seventh or eighth grade. And that's a very different situation than a first grader, mm -hmm. right? So you had all those different experiences. But I could see a parent who feels like, oh, my God, I need it micromanaged them feeling worried about the judgment or feeling worried that, you know, their kid is out of range. And I just I don't know. I just want to wonder how you hold that. How you think about that? Well, first of all, I think you're the expert for your child, not me. It's, you know, it's your child. So no judgment. It's just, you know, it's just a different way. It's interesting that you mentioned the age difference, because the other thing is that that support changed actually over the years as the kids got older and it became, you know, and it became very different. And so again, I, I never felt like I was the expert for anyone else's child. It's like, you know what you're doing. I'm here to support, not to judge. So no judgment, no judgment. I wonder how you got support from the teachers or the school administration and how you advocated for the time you needed to provide adequate care. Because here you're describing multiple children with different protocols. You're chasing around after them at PE. Mm -hmm. And if they are on a parade and they need a finger check every hour, you know, back in the day when that was a thing, you know, or you're watching a CGM and you're seeing a kid go low and you're getting a frantic text from me saying, could you go check that out, please? Because she's not responding I don't know if she's actually eaten something for that low and is paying any attention. How did you have time for that? And how did you advocate for the time that you needed with the school? And how did teachers uh, understand your role? 
I am so happy to say I didn't have to advocate for the time. I really feel like it was just a part of the culture of the school, mm-hmm. actually. In all my years there at the school, it's like kids come first, kids come first. What are their needs? And so there was just an understanding that I was providing the support. I mean, at some point, I would even joke about like being in meetings, like I was like popcorn because I could be in a meeting and then there would be some indication that there's a low or, you know, whatever. And I would just pop, you know, pop out, pop in, pop out, pop in. It's um, <laughs> So I feel like this in terms of the school and the teachers, it felt like we were all a team. And so there was no advocating actually for time. And in fact, the school in terms of the administration really looked at, oh, you know, staffing and, you know, what do we need to provide in order you know, for you to be able to do what you need to do with the kids. Kids come first. And so that being the culture of the school, I feel fortunate that other things, it was just an understanding. Other things had to wait or be interrupted. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. Right now, your child's type 1 diagnosis feels like the biggest blow ever. You feel worried for their health and watchful all the time of pretty much everything, blood sugar, food, exercise. If your child was diagnosed in the last year and you want to get back to the calm and sturdy parent you were before diagnosis, the place to start is with Sweet Talks After Diagnosis coaching program designed just for parents like you by me, a fellow T1D mom and experienced therapist and diabetes coach. After diagnosis will help you find a faster path to calm. When you're doing better with diabetes, your child will do better too. To find out more, go to diabetessweettalk.courses. I wonder what you would recommend uh, that a caregiver might ask for from parents. When the parents are coming to them saying, I have a kid with type 1, what would you recommend that that caregiver asks for? I, actually, I want to pause here, Cass. I want to tell a story that I got a call from a nurse in a public school near me who had the new responsibility of taking care of a type one kid. He was really freaked out, right? She had blood sugar swings. He saw that on the weekend, she went down to 40. And I said, well, all those things happen, right? (laughs) But But he was really, really anxious. So I'm wondering, and that's part of why I thought it would be wonderful to have you on the show, because I think that we as parents don't recognize how much anxiety the providers have. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that, that needs to run the show at all. Like, we're anxious as parents. How do we partner with providers to make them less anxious? So I'm wondering, what would you recommend that another caregiver ask for from the parents so the parents can have that in mind when they're going to the caregivers? First of all, it's like you end up having relationships with the parents. And you end up having these relationships with the kids. And so I don't know if it's humanly possible to just turn it off, turn it off on the weekends or whatever. It's like you're you're always thinking about these kids. It's funny because, you know, there have been times on the weekend when I've been so tempted just as a joke. I mean, I know that the kids are being taken care of, but just as a joke, even to send a little message as someone on that low, you know, <laughs> I might have killed you. (laughs) Uh huh. But honestly, it's just it's just about the communication. I I feel like that is the thing that has been so valuable for me. And honest communication. How many times have you said to me, "I don't know, (laughs) I don't know, Cass"? When I'm like, 
I don't understand this. I don't either. I think that's just, that's really not an assumption that anyone, oh, you've been doing this for so long with my kid, you know, don't you get it? Or that's really helpful. Just the communication and also access. I feel like I've always been really fortunate to have access to parents or even I'm going to be busy between this time and this time. So you won't be able to reach me. Here's an alternative number. If you need someone or if you need some assistance, that was huge. You know, I never felt like I was alone out there, you know, with these kids so much. Okay. You're naming a few things and I want to list them because there's one I want to go back to. So the first thing you're saying is communication, which I think you've, that's the through line for everything you're saying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're also saying something about access. That's important that you had parents who were responsive And if we couldn't be responsive at a particular time, which I know for sure happened to me occasionally, I would let you know. I would say, I can't at this time. I'm in meetings. Here's the time you can reach my husband or, you know, even other people as backup if you needed it. Right. But the other thing you just said that I think is important, I'm I'm rewinding to try to remember it in my mind. And I don't know exactly how you said it, but it was something about honest communication and that we know that mistakes happen, right? Mm -hmm. Mistakes always happen. And they Mm -hmm. certainly happen to me. I could, for example, overdose or underdose or dose too late or guess the carb count wrong or not realize that the pump actually failed and that's why she's 300 and all these things can happen. And there's something here I think you're saying about when mistakes happened or what happened for you in the relationship with parents when a quote unquote mm-hmm. mistake happened. A lot of those aren't even mistakes. They're just like life happening and diabetes is in there. So I, I guess I, I'm curious what you meant. And I don't, I don't remember your exact wording, but I, I'm curious what you meant there. When I talked about honest communication. Yeah. And that's about, yeah. you were saying that's honest on your side too, that you get to honestly say like, I didn't know what to do here. Or I would sometimes say, I know I would sometimes be like, boy, beats me what's happening here. Like, let's try this. Or, you know, I think I took that stance a lot with you, but I wonder um, this idea of honest communication and also mistakes or places, growth edges. I mean, we can right. call it a lot of different things. I just feel like it was this exchange exchange of information kind of based on this. When I say honest communication, I think like you said, on both sides, being able to say, oh, I did this or, you know, it might be, oh, don't dose. Uh Oh, I already did. You know, <laughs> Without getting caught in like a blame game. Again, I think just keeping this child is the primary focus. Okay. A mistake has been made. So now what do we do? And how do we pivot from that and, and make this right? The other thing for me was on both sides, being able to admit we're not perfect. I'm not perfect as this caregiver. I'm trying to, you know, do the best I can. And it was so amazing for me to also hear that coming from parents. Yeah, I'm trying to figure this out too. Or, it, you know, it changes by the day or by the situation, who knows? And so I don't know, for me, it just, again, it just helped, you know, with that feeling of we're on a team. We're on this team and we're partners and this is our goal of keeping, we're going to keep this kid safe and in school and able to participate like every other kid. What I wonder about, and it's a lovely, your answer is totally lovely, but what I wonder about is what happens when it didn't work out well? Like, and what I'm thinking about Cass is my daughter in her eighth grade year at the school. Mm-hmm. She's now no longer mm-hmm. there. We're, we're not having this partnership anymore. She was really irritated with you a few times, right? Mm-hmm. Because you mm-hmm. actually were more mama bear than me about some lows that she had on a field trip. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how that irritation, I don't know if you ever experienced irritation from a parent 
mm-hmm. um, with you and a decision that you made. But let's just talk about the irritation from her, right? Because mm-hmm. it's normal. She's an eighth grader. She just has right. a stance in the world that can be a little more irritated. But I wonder how that was for you to manage mm-hmm. that that sort of rupture in the relationship. I just didn't take it personally, really. And it's like, I get it. I'm in your business all day long. Mm-hmm. I'm lurking around. I mean, even though the style of the management obviously changed, you know, as the kids would get older and I would step back a little bit and not be so right there in, in their circle. I, I just didn't take it personally. And I care more about you being safe than how you feel about me, actually. <laughs> Irritated, you don't like me right now. That's fine. And even for parents getting irritated, it's it also, it's this thing about not taking it personally for whatever reason, because it's like, I understand you're really worried about your kid mm-hmm. and you aren't here personally to be able to do this for your kid. And so you're, you know, you're depending on somebody else. And so mm-hmm. how stressful is that? I mean, I can only imagine how stressful that would be because mistakes can be really, really serious, have serious consequences. And So, yeah, it wasn't personal. The relationships were personal, but that piece, totally understandable. Actually, you're making me think there was someone else at the school once who took the kids off campus. I think this was with my son, so a century ago, who took the kids off campus for something and hadn't let me know and Mm -hmm. therefore hadn't let you know. And therefore, there was no diabetes backup. And I got so mad. I really, Mm -hmm. I normally was priding myself on staying pretty calm, but I kind of, wasn't so nice. I sort of chewed Mm -hmm. her out and said, Mm -hmm. you can't do that. It's not safe. You need to talk to Cass. You need to talk to me. You have no right to take him off campus. Like I was not nice. I was not my nicest self. I was always amazed that she never seemed to hold it against me. And what you're saying is really helping me understand that she got it, right? Mm -hmm. I think you do. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's like that all the time, but it's understanding that you have these kids in your care. You know, it's almost like I was saying, oh, you know, so she's irritated with me or whatever. Okay. It's kind of like the safety being the primary goal, having an understanding of that. And for a parent, it's, I feel like it's okay. This is a big deal. You're human and you get stressed. Even if you come back around to someone and say, you know, I'm really sorry that I lost it or whatever, you know, which means a lot. But just understanding that in that moment, Actually, what's important is that kid and not so much how someone else is feeling about you. Let me see. Is there anything I'm missing? Any Anything that you feel like would be important um, to communicate? I would really, really, really say in terms of the partnership with the caregiver, also a partnership with the school. I mean, I definitely appreciate it. And I know the administration appreciated, for example, you taking the lead in terms of providing information to the school, coming to campus to speak with teachers and other staff members. You know, even if it's just a general introduction to this is what this is and having that be led by you was very, very helpful and very, very helpful to the administration who may not know actually where to find resources to do that or or, um, initiate that on their own. So let me pause you there and just let people know that what I would do is almost every year, Mm -hmm. I would do a training of the teacher with you cast present, just so the teacher knew what was happening in her generally classroom. Almost every year I did a training of the staff 
So I would come to a staff training and I would do 10 minutes. Like I, I made mm-hmm. sure it was very short and I just wanted everyone to know. And I would hand out a picture of my kid and at some point a picture of all the kids on campus with type 1 diabetes. And I would do a quick training. So everyone knew if you see this kid behave in this way, here's how you need to respond. So that's mm-hmm. I just wanted people to know that that's what I Absolutely taught. and absolutely helpful. I mean, and even first of all, to have the entire staff on the same page, it was helpful for me. You know, you would do the training and then for whatever reason, if I was frantically looking for one of the kids, the staff knew, okay, this is serious. And it just kind of put us into a all hands on deck mode, you know, where's this kid, which, you know, got to be more of a challenge as the kids get older and <laughs> both want in more independence and have more independence within the program. You know, there were times I didn't always know like physically where are they? Because, oh, maybe this class decided to wander over here, over there. And, you know, not like the little kids where you kind of know where they are at all times. Or, you know, oh, let's have a class party. And as they get older, I feel like they have more freedom to make those choices without you. So it's helpful to have the staff have at least some idea of what's, what we're dealing with. Anything else you want to share that you, uh, your experience that would be helpful, do you think, for other type 1 parents to understand about partnering with caregivers in schools? You know, this is obviously from your perspective. I wanted to emphasize the communication piece, which is really huge. And I, and I really do want to say, and, and it's just me, I, you know, I don't know about every circumstance, but for parents, like, to really just, we're holding... The child is as the most important thing and everything else, feelings, and it's okay. Advocate for your child, I feel, to the utmost. It's okay. People can handle it. Let's see, that and that information, the training was so helpful. Access to parents, so helpful, especially when there were questions about things. Also, actually having information from the kids as much as possible, you know, what would you like for this to look like? And, you know, understanding, you know, it can't, maybe it can't necessarily be what they want totally, but at least for them to have some say or input or knowledge of what's being decided in terms of how this support is going to look, I think is, is helpful, you know, for the caregiver. So, and um, and for the kid. (laughs) So that's, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, you know, I think of that instance of saying, you know, okay, I'm not your boss and mm-hmm. this is what I'm doing. And so you're aware of it. I think that's really helpful. I mean, it's been, like I said, it's it's been a real learning experience for me. I feel like I have really special relationships as a result of it. And so I'm so grateful for the experience. I do think the culture of the school was huge in the support that I was able to provide. So Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I wasn't supported by the administration, you know, at all. So Mm -hmm. that was also very helpful. My best best story is one student, you know, before pumps and CGMs and we're doing finger sticks and insulin shots and one student participating in a class play. That student was on stage, basically, and I was behind the curtain. That student had their hand through the curtain to me getting a finger stick so we could check check the blood sugar while the performance is going on. I just, uh, you know, I feel like the kid. that's when I talk about the relationships of the kids and the kids really being rock stars. 
and just kind of going on with their day. And I loved it when, you know, it would get to the point where it was almost like I wasn't even noticed, actually, Mm -hmm. to come into a classroom and do whatever, or just be handed a finger while they continue to do, you know, what they're doing. I was like, yay, that was the goal, just to have it be a regular, regular all experience every day at school. And so those are my good memories. I'm just curious when the kid was sticking the finger through the curtain, were they low? Do you remember that? Or do you just remember the finger? Not the low. It was a, it was a check for the parent. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Just to make sure. Just to Probably make sure. me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Cass, thank you so, so much. This is incredibly generous of your time. I think really helpful. And I appreciate your time so much. And, and, and it makes me appreciate you even more. All those oh. years of you making my kids' lives as normal as they could be. Thank you for that, too. And thank you for turning your kids over to me. I really appreciate that. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type 1, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register.